I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hello, all spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me as the host of the Netflix series 28 Days Haunted on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus show, Paranormal Caught on Camera. And today we are talking about the book, The Black Guy Dies First, Black Horror Cinema from Fodder to Oscar. And it explores the journey of black actors and creators in modern horror cinema from the fodder epitomized by Night of the Living Dead to Get Out. And it delves into themes, tropes, traits that have come to characterize black roles in horror. The authors are Dr. Robin R. Means Coleman. She's a Northwest at Northwestern University's vice president and associate provost for diversity and inclusion, and also an internationally prominent and award-winning scholar. And the other author is Mark H. Harris. He's an entertainment journalist who has written about cinema and pop culture for more than 20 years for New York Magazine, Vulture, Rotten Tomatoes, and more. He's a lifelong horror fan. He created the website BlackHorrorMovies.com in 2005 as the premier online source chronicling the history of Black representation and achievement in horror cinema. And he was featured as a commentator in the acclaimed documentary Horror noir in the shutter series behind the monsters and he is who joins me right now let me bring him in mark h harris hey mark thanks for joining me today hey no problem thanks for having me uh yeah. robin unfortunately robin had a last minute emergency but she sends her regards uh she's got important provosty things to do so uh <laughs> you have to deal with me uh unfortunately <laughs> the the very vague title of provost yes i don't know what it is but it sounds important so i i leave it alone <laughs> it is important yes it, it sounds important it is important um but i'm very happy to be talking to you i yeah it was i was excited it seems like i guess about two months ago when i first heard about your book i think rolling stone was writing it up and uh i was excited to make contact with you because I'm a horror nerd, but also this is a an important topic to talk about and a great topic. I before we get into kind of the weeds with the book, I wanted to get a sense from you about your earliest horror movie memories and also when you started noticing these trends uh, about and tropes about black characters in horror. Yeah, I mean, I. I mean, I have always, I grew up in the 80s and um, really black representation in all genres was kind of scant back then. And I remember like any time I would see a TV show with a black person on it, I go running through the house. There's a black person on TV, there's a black person on TV. So I have always kind of paid attention to that sort of thing and the representation of of black people in in all kinds of genres. Um, But as far as horror specifically, I mean, I the movie that really jumps out in my mind it kind of kickstarted both you know my love of the genre and my acknowledgement or realization about the black roles in the genre is the original night of living dead um i remember renting it or not renting but by borrowing it from the library a vhs copy from the library um when i was probably like 12 or so and i remember you know just popping it in and watching it i wasn't really sure what to expect but um what struck me was that, you know, it was in black and white. And, you know, to me, that made the movie seem like so ancient. So it was like, seemed like this really old movie. But then I was struck by how how graphic the content was. And I was struck by the fact that the lead character was this black guy. And he was like bossing people around. He was slapping around white people and stuff like this. And I was like, wow, this is really ahead of its time. I mean, even a movie made back in the eighties when I was watching it would have been, it would have been revolutionary to me for that sort of role for a black uh, lead character. So um, it really stuck with me and it, it stoked my love for the genre. And, and the fact that the ending really stuck with me just cause not only that it had some sort of, you know, it had some social commentary with the, 
with the black guy ended up dying by at the hands of this this lynch mob for for lack of a better term but just the fact that you know it, it struck me as far as the genre goes about you can have an ending that just isn't a happy ending the heroes don't go walking off into the sunset you know you can have a downer kind of ending and it can even have more impact at least for me than you know than a happy ending so that really kind of i guess i'm, I'm drawn to kind of darker storylines so that really stuck with me and really ignited my love for for horror in general yeah uh, how old were you when you saw night of the living dead the first time probably around 12 or so i think yeah oh wow okay. see that's i think i was a little bit older than that uh, i was a kid of the 80s as well but mm-hmm. it 12 is is pretty young i mean <laughs> it the the social commentary it, I, as as a a kid growing up black as a black kid in the 80s i'm sure it hits you right away that social commentary yeah i mean it's i don't know if i made you know really absorbed it as much as you know i would as an adult of course knowing historically a lot more now but i mean at the time it definitely struck me like you know oh this is like you know this black guy survives the night you know and and makes it to the end and then all of a sudden these you know, backwoods or, or country kind of folk, you know, who who you would see typically I in a in black and white, they, they strike me as the type of people you would see in these civil rights documentaries in the 60s, that sort of thing, the bull Connors and that sort of thing, you know, sicking dogs on black people. So it really it did resonate with me as far as that goes, the, the imagery, um, you know, whether or not it was intended, but it, it really did stick with me. Yeah. Yeah, that's and maybe it is. I love that movie. It's still one of my favorite movies, and it was it, it was scary. It still holds up as as a scary movie. And the fact that Romero claims, you know, up until uh, he passed away, that that was just a colorblind casting. It was never meant to be this this social commentary, and uh, and yet it hits so hard. And mm-hmm. and and the character does it. And I forget within your book, you do a great job and and oftentimes a very humorous job of breaking down these different tropes and whatnot. Does the character fit within a trope? Because, as you said, he he does. He makes it through the entire film. (laughs) He's not this saintly hero. He makes mistakes and he is, you know, he's he's smacking around people. And yes, it happens to be a white woman. He's not this flawless hero. Yeah. Does he fit with any of those established tropes that you, you set out in the book? I mean, he's that's kind of what makes him so remarkable is he kind of is a bit of an outlier in that sense. Like he's not this paragon of virtue. You know, he he he, you know, goes off. He has a he's a violent temper. You know, he even uh, shoots a guy, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, unnecessarily. Um he and he does you know he's kind of the hero but he's also kind of an anti-hero so it's it's really a a fascinating um role i think i mean i I guess you could say he is the quote-unquote black guy who you know because he's the lone black representation in the film um and he dies at the end although i don't know if you you wouldn't call that a really heroic death or anything that um in terms of like him putting himself out on the line, he was trying to get rescued and, and they just shot him. So, so he is, yeah. Ben kind of is in a category by himself, I'd say. Yeah. And, and then later when you're studying these things, even more remarkable because in 1968, you also have, what was it? Spider baby, which features this very tropish offensive representation of, of the spook character. So at the same time, these two movies coexisting. Yeah, that's why we, we chose to start the, the book in 1968 with these two movies. We thought they were a really good uh, way to kick off um, the discussion. You know, this this one, on one hand, we have Ben and the Light of the Living Dead who lasts throughout the whole movie and is the hero and the central character. But on the other hand, in Spider-Baby, you have uh, Mantan Moreland, who's a, who's a veteran comedic actor who uh, appears and is dead by like the first in the first five or 10 minutes of the film, he, he doesn't even have a name for his character. He's just there to, to, to satiate the, you know, the bloodlust of the audience. So um, we thought it was, it was a good representation of, of showing, you know, 
how things were, you know, the range of how things could be, and, you know, showing how the growth could occur over the next 50 years or so. Mm-hmm. Well, and and let me backtrack a little bit, just as far as the development of the book, how did it come about? And and by the way, it's incredibly relevant and it's, and it's very much up to the moment. I mean, you guys seemed like you were writing up until uh, – public publication that's that that timely but talk about the development of the book and how you and robin came together on this robin and i had been in touch for for several years um i think you know when she wrote her book car noir um back in i want to say 2010 ish or something that um she had she had acknowledged in the book that she she used my site as as a some a reference point, and she had actually called me out of the blue, and 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 you know we connected a little bit just to talk about things, and and we kind of said you know we'd like to do something together at some point, but this was way back. This was a good ten years ago or so, um, and you know we just kind of kept in touch over the years, and um, and then um, after the horror nor the documentary came out, and it kind of made a bit of a splash. Um, uh, Joe Monty over at uh, Saga Press, which is a, a portion of uh, Simon & Schuster, he reached out to Robin to kind of do a follow-up to Horror Noir, the book, because he lo- he saw the documentary and he loved it, and he kind of wanted to do another book that was maybe a little less academic, a little more, had a little more broader appeal. Um, and so she's like, sure. And, and and then she called me up and she's like, oh, you know, I, she thought I could help, you know, lend a little, uh, dumb her down, dumb, dumb her material down a little bit, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, I, I kind of lent some of the, the humor and some of the, uh, the more wide appeal, I guess, to the, to the tone of the book. And, um, and she's a busy person, so she hasn't had time to watch quite as many movies as I have in the recent years. So I kind of helped fill in some of the gaps over the recent years. So, you know, we started writing the book, like, I want to say late 2020, and we're turned it in like in the fall of 2021 and then they said that you know then they set like a release date of 2023 and we're like whoa that's that's like a year and a half away and so the the one thing good thing about that the long publication uh, ramp up was that we knew that nope was coming out in 2023 so we we're like okay we're okay with that as long as we can squeeze in nope at some point in there. So luckily, uh, or uh, I guess 2022, last year in 2022, um, we were able to squeeze in some some Nope and a couple other movies like uh, uh, Master. So a couple of references to 2022 movies. So that really helped, you know, bring things up to the to the current day. So that was the good part about that. Yeah, and in addition to it being very timely, it is sharp. It is funny. It's very accessible. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a. It, it feels like a mainstream book, not like a academic one. Mm-hmm. And there's also, uh, uh, what is the balance of humor with this? Because you're also talking about some serious matter. I mean, it's it's horror, uh, but it's also you're talking about representation in horror. Yeah. Were there moments where you're like, I don't know, that might be. T- pushing it too far into the humorous category too irreverent um, or we need to be more serious in this moment. Cause you do, you, you do get very irreverent in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a difficult balance. Um, I think though, I think the, the approach we took was that we wanted to be, to be entertaining first and foremost, because you know, there's a lot of movies or a lot of books that are very serious that talk about race and that sort of thing, and they definitely have their place. But um, I think those books tend to be preaching to the choir. You're not going to really convert people to convince them to read some serious book about race when they have no interest about thinking about that sort of topic. So I think we wanted to make it first and foremost entertaining to draw in people to the to the tone and to the to the uh, talking about movies and, and and that sort of thing that was more lighthearted um, to make it, you know, entertaining and draw people in before we kind of, you know, slip in the, the messaging underneath. So I think uh, it's an interesting balance. We wanted to kind of, you know, but we, 
we wanted to kind of make it, you know, something entertaining first and foremost. I think that was the most important thing in terms of drawing people in who might not be either horror fans or might not be fans of discussing about race, that sort of thing. So we kind of wanted to make it, you know, accessible to everyone, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite, uh, there's several several um, inserts in the in the book, such as the Black Horror Movie Survival Guide, and then you break down the various character types as I forget all of them, but you know, the sidekick, the voice of reason, the authority figure, the best friend, the sacrificial Negro, the magical Negro. It's, there's a lot, you cover a lot of territory and then there's crossover, you know, oh, it's, oh, yeah. it's hard. Uh, <laughs> were there any characterizations that you were trying to make an argument for, but just ultimately couldn't, couldn't uh, make it happen. Didn't come to fruition. Um, I mean, it went through a few different, phases we kind of renamed a couple of things <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um i don't know if there was anything that really didn't make the cut though um i think you know initially we had a few and then it kind of grew um but i think we were pretty yeah i, I don't remember cutting anything out. i think it was pretty cut and dry in terms of you know these were the these were all the it kind of represented all the the characters we could think of really that i mean it kind of is is a you know an indictment of how you know the, the state of how things have been is just that you can really you really can have these specific categories and you can really narrow, narrow down 99 percent of the characters you know from at least from the last you know 30, 40 years into these kind of uh, tropes. So, I mean, I think it, uh, I, th- I feel like we did a pretty accurate job as far as that goes. I feel like uh, since the, even the, I have not seen the latest installment of Scream, but so far the, the Scream franchise, which is all about scary movie rules, has not really done the black character rules within it. I, I almost was while I was reading this. I'm like, someone's going to option this as <laughs> as the for for a movie for you know, Scream uh, Seven. Except we're going <laughs> to adapt Black Guy Dice first. <laughs> it seems like you you set up right. a lot of the rules here. Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> as long as I get paid, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, in. And like with George Romero, he comes up a couple times in your book. And I want to talk about some of these kind of more subversive films and franchises that have come about. George Romero comes up. We have uh, Dawn of the Dead and Land of the Dead. I know you mentioned a couple times. What do you think it was about Romero's work? And, and I've I've had I had the fortune of interviewing him a handful of times when he was alive. Oh. And, you know, I wasn't specifically talking about this you know about black characters about his social awareness but it does seem to move a constant theme throughout his films what is it about it that do you think allowed him to tap into that or you know speak to george romero yeah i mean i think you know i i never had the fortune of of interacting with him directly but i mean from what i can gather i mean he seems like he's very much a rebel at heart so i mean Mm -hmm. i think that the original Night of the Living Dead, the kind of the nature of the film, the the graphic nature of the film, I think, was kind of a, a reflection of the era the, of, the, of the times, you know, all the, you know, riots and protests and the Vietnam War and all these things. I think he kind of internalized and kind of then let it loose on screen. And I think, you know, um, part of his even though he he claims he didn't have any sort of, you know, racial intent with casting uh, ben, um, as, as a black man, um, I mean, I think it's still a reflection of his uh, unwillingness to play by the rules and his kind of, you know, his rebellious nature of, of wanting to just kind of, you know, put on screen what he feels inside the kind of, you know, free flowing of, of ideas and, and emotions. And I think that kind of just, uh, you know, permeated his films. I mean, I think he, he probably just thought, you know, why not cast a black person in these movies? You mean they, they, you know, they, if they're the, if they think they can do the job, you know, just go ahead and do it. Cause I think, you know, a lot of times the feedback I'm sure he will get from studios is that, you know, we can't have a black lead cause then now it's a black movie and it can only market it to black audiences and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I think his, his natural inclination is to kind of just go against all the, 
the rules and, and to kind of just, you know, uh, you know, do what he do what he likes, do what he feels. And I think, you know, and I think he just kind of just imbues his his films with, you know, the sort of social uh, identity and social uh, uh, mores and values that he feels. You know, I think, you know, Land of the Dead, I think, was really interesting because it, it's clearly like has some commentary on like uh, on, on terrorism and like, you know, who really are terrorists and what do they, you know, who are the bad guys in these situations? Are, are the quote unquote terrorists, you know, really kind of, you know, uh, the bad guys or are they kind of just rebelling in, in a way that, you know, rebelling against a system that, you know, has held them down and they have no other options basically. So um, I think, you know, he always has some sort of undercurrent underneath his storylines that is really interesting and just, like I said, reflective of his kind of rebellious spirit. Yeah, and even inadvertently, like kind of moving the zombies away from the voodoo tropes into this ghoul, this man-eating, uh, flesh-eating ghoul. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think he set out to do that, but it's just he was just trying to make a vampire movie, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, the uh, were there any when with your research were there any trends that even though you've been the um, blackhorrormovies.com had been launched in two thousand five. In the intervening years, and as, as you're putting this together, was there any bits of research that was kind of surprising you as you started kind of pulling at these threads? Any themes or things that popped up that you just hadn't really thought about before? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the most interesting as parts of the book that I researched, I think to me that I had kind of a blind area on was the... Uh, LGBTQ plus uh, representation, uh, black representation in horror, because it's it's so small and hard to find. It's that you know it's kind of easy to to overlook. Um, and so you know I, we wanted to have a, a, a section that deals with that. And so you know we kind of did deep dives to into movies, and you can kind of call pieces from here and there. Um, but it's really you know it's a minority within a minority and it's, it's very hard to really generalize about, you know, that sort of thing. But we kind of, you know, we found some interesting representations. Um, you know, there was like, uh, one movie that I hadn't been, had never seen that I'd heard of, but I hadn't seen, I think it's called, uh, Macumba Sexual. And that had a, um, a black is from the eighties. Uh, I think it's a Jess Franco film, but it's had a, um, uh, the main villain is a a black woman, but it, it turns out she's a, a trans actress. And so I don't know if they really were aware at the time, but I mean, it really was a uh, a groundbreaking representation from back in like the early 80s. And so um, that was something that was interesting to, to, to discover and, and just to delve into that sort of aspect. So um, that definitely is something that I think, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get more representation in terms of that area in the future um but you know we kind of tried to do our best in 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 giving an idea of the representation from that in the book so um so yeah that's that's definitely one area that i hope will really improve in terms of representation in the future i was i was surprised by i guess i really just had never thought about how subversive trauma had been i mean i i i know schlock and and the sea level movies and whatnot and fun but yeah, lloyd kaufman was doing some pretty subversive stuff over there yeah i mean uh surf nazis must die i think you know we, we talk about that in the book i mean that was really i i it's a title that i had heard of for a long time because it's hard to ignore but uh, and I, I, for a long time, I just hadn't, hadn't watched it, but then I sat down to watch it eventually. And I was like, well, wait a minute, the, the hero of this movie is a, is a, a, a an old black lady. And it's like this old black church lady who's, was like, you know, waving around a gun and like trying to basically taking revenge, um, for her son who was killed by these Nazis. And, and so, um, I mean, it was really, you know, interesting to find out. It, it's really fascinating when you find these movies that are like, you heard of, but you hadn't noticed before. And, and then you, you never actually watched, but then you sit down and you realize, you know, 
what they're really about and that they have some sort of, you know, they have like these prominent black uh, representation. And, and that was one of them that really stuck with me. And I think that's really, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird and wacky, of course, as trauma is, but I mean, I think just the fact that they would have a movie with like an elderly black woman as the hero, I think is kind of, in the 1980s is, is pretty astounding to think about. Mm-hmm. As and I don't know precisely how old you are, but as a self-identified kid from the '80s, as I am, I look back and I think about some of the the prominent black characters in those films, and the three that kind of popped to mind immediately would be um, uh, Ken Sagos from Nightmare on Elm Street Three, I think, right? Uh, Dream Warriors, um, yeah, and then. Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters and Tony Todd Candyman. Those, I mean, obviously there are more than that. Uh, not as many as there should have been, but there are more than that. But three very different types of characters. And specifically, I wanted to get your take on both as a kid and then now looking back at a character like Ernie, uh, as Winston Zedmore, played by Ernie Hudson. Mm-hmm. You, you talk about him in the book. He wasn't a spook character, but he had this sort of working stiff working alongside the white heroes, but he kind of comes out pretty okay out of the movie, even though he doesn't get as much screen time as he should. It was totally eliminated from the opening scene in Ghostbusters <laughs> 2. But. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. I mean, he's definitely, he's what I would say would be kind of a prototypical quote unquote black guy where he's kind of, you know, there's nothing particularly offensive about him, but there's, also nothing particularly extraordinary about him. He's just kind of there, you know, he's the black guy who goes along for the ride and he's kind of just, you know, a supporting character. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I think as a kid, I, I really enjoyed Ghostbusters a lot. I watched it in the, in the theater a couple of times and I remember, you know, quoting lines and stuff like that. And, you know, um, but, you know, kind of going back and looking at it as an adult, you, I do kind of see, some of the uh shortcomings i guess or some of the things at the time in that era that were i guess a little more uh uh forgivable or overlookable that that kind of hasn't aged as well and i think you know his role although like i said he wasn't you know you know offensive per se i mean it really was kind of just kind of there you know he was just he he felt kind of like uh, a, a token or a diversity hire kind of thing kind of so um i think you know i think he could have definitely had a little more backstory about to his life we could have found a little more about what he was doing he could have been a little more active but i mean that was that was the era i mean i, I grew up in the era so i know i know how things were and and, and yeah and so you know it is what it is when writing the book did you th- there's there's the changes from production to final product and you know with Ernie Hudson initially there was a role written for Eddie Murphy and then it was supposed to be this something of an audience surrogate the non-paranormal guy and then he had more lines that were cut due to you know improvisation and uh, they they say Bill Murray you know <laughs> running running uh, uh rampant on on his lines and whatnot but did you consider at all what was supposed to happen in these films versus the characterization and the final product or is the final product all that really matters yeah I mean really it, you know it I mean to me it's really what appears on screen i mean it's it's nice that they had you know intentions and stuff like that and it would have been interesting to see what uh (laughs) eddie murphy would have brought to the role but um yeah i mean it really unfortunately you know it's kind of the bottom line of what what you see on screen is what people will remember and what you will go down in history so um and you know what what things people see are are really you know indelible in their memories and and it really impacts you know what things are made in the future, you know, because, you know, people are like, oh, Ghostbusters did well, and this is the type of role we had for him there. So let's just keep going that sort of, that same sort of, you know, trajectory. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then Candyman, of course. I mean, that was, that was a film that I loved as a, as a horror movie as like slightly older uh, kid, I guess, uh, in the teens at that point. 
looking at that, you of course talk about the you know the recent sort of reboot or whatever we're calling requel um, versus Tony Todd's original. How did it strike you as a kid? I I was a teen also when I saw the original Candyman in the theater, and it was it was terrifying. I, I mean, that was one of the scariest things I'd seen at the time. Um, and I remember vividly watching it in the theater and, and I loving it. Um, and I still love it today. Although, you know, looking back in hindsight at the time, it didn't necessarily strike me quite as much because in the early nineties, we're just coming out of the eighties and I was used to sort of the portrayals of black characters throughout the eighties. And I was just kind of, sad to say, I was just, just happy to see some black people on screen. It's like, you don't really, you can't be too picky about, you know, back then you couldn't be too picky about what types of roles they were. But, you know, you know, now, although I still love the movie in hindsight, you know, I see the, the issues with some of the characterizations in terms of, you know, the, the, you know, it's a black urban legend, but it's seen through wide eyes. It's seen through the, the Virginia Madsen character who goes into this, what what it seems like an urban jungle it's like she's like a almost like a white uh hunter going into the jungles of africa or something back in the in the 40s but it's like this you know this horrible place that you know filled with you know drug dealers and violent gangs and all this sort of thing and 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 you know it's it's it has some issues with the representation factor as far as that goes and as well as the there's a whole you know history of um you know, legacy of ideas of black people, black men lusting after white women. And that's kind right. of, again, the whole kind of romance in the movie is, is built is built around that. So, um, you know, I see some issues with it. And I think that, you know, the fact that it was kind of seen through white eyes is kind of why the the reboot or remake or whatever that was, was made a couple of years ago is kind of they wanted to change the the focus of the movie to to more of the black community. So I think uh, I think they did a good job in, in in the in the remake and doing that. And so it's they each I think each movie has its its pros and cons, and I think you know they each stand on their own pretty well. Mm-hmm. I I'm quickly trying to find it because there you talk about sort of the uh, uh, other characters that or actors that were introduced into um, horror. Uh, black hairs are introduced into horror included a lot of uh, rappers and hip hop artists. And that became like a whole um, almost like a, a subgenre of, of horror. And you also talk a bit about some of the songs that emerged out of this. And <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what you thought, what you think now were the, uh, the best performers versus worst offenders of uh of hip-hop artists that contributed tunes to um, <laughs> horror movies i'm trying to find the list quickly but i can't yeah i uh boy were there any best ones i don't know <laughs> it's, just, it's it's uh i mean i i know the list you're talking about i mean i know there were some some terrible ones the uh the fat boys did a nightmare on elm street song um run dmc did a ghostbusters 2 song uh L Cool J had one from Deep Blue Sea. That was pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> At least I do love I do love that you mentioned the Monster Squad theme song <laughs> that only appears at the end out of nowhere. And <laughs> we don't even know who sang it. <laughs> it was just so damn fisted. Like, nobody wanted to lend their names to that. <laughs> <laughs> and and the um the nightmare on my on my street, uh, DJ Jazzy Def and uh, the Fresh Prince, Superior Elm Street uh, song. Oh yeah, oh yeah, but that was like not, I guess, not sanctioned for the movie or whatever. I guess so. I don't think that was really associated with it. But it was, yeah, that was way better than the the Fat Boys one. So, yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird phenomenon in the eighties and early nineties, where it was like, oh, end credits, cue a hip hop song. <laughs> it's just like out of nowhere and 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 yeah some of them were or i'd say most of them were pretty bad <laughs> yeah there's so there's been a lot of articles lately about talking about um elevated horror and woke horror and i you address woke horror in the book i i i kind of 
cringe at the elevated horror label and Mm -hmm. and even i dislike the word woke just because it's been um so manipulated and and co-opted by other people for for negative purposes but yeah uh and, and I know, like, and and even you and your co-author recently uh, gave some quotes talking about the Jordan Peele effect of horror that's entertaining with an underlying message. But to put that in a larger context, lest someone sees those quotes and thinks that's it, you actually can make the argument that this isn't the first time that we have had entertainment and underlying message with black characters, with horror featuring black characters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not a new thing. I mean, it, we've kind of come into a new generation with a new, you know, there's a whole, uh, you know, social movement in the last few years, especially with the, the Black Lives Matter and, and movements like that. I think that it's really risen to prominence more. But I mean, it's it's there's been a, an undercurrent of that since, you know, back in the black exploitation era. You know, I mean, the original Blackula had a whole, you know, plot about you know, police corruption and how the police weren't, you know, really paying attention to these murders because, you know, they're, they're black people or they're probably, they, they were trying to blame it on uh, black Panthers or all this kind of stuff where, you know, there, there was a black cop who was kind of the hero in the story, but, you know, he was kind of getting f- feedback from his own department that, you know, they weren't trying to, you know, help solve these murders. And so, um, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, films especially you know there was another one called uh <laughs> that one of robin's favorites is a movie called welcome home brother charles which is kind of a pseudo horror kind of it's kind of defies genre but i mean it's about a a black guy who's wrongfully convicted and, and abused by these policemen and and he's castrated and he kind of ends up having some mystical power where he can he regrows his penis and uses it to, he can grow it to immense lengths and he gets out of jail and uses it to strangle the people who sent him to jail and put him away. He strangles the, like the police officers and the lawyers and the judge. So it's a whole, you know, a whole kind of uh, commentary on, uh, on, uh, you know, the, the judicial system and, and the persecution of black people in that. So, um, it's, it's not a new thing. Um, but, you know, it's definitely gotten a lot of, you know, uh, rejuvenation in the last few years. Yeah, I had not seen that one. I've, I, <laughs> I do recall seeing uh, Blackula when I was younger and the for the first time when I was younger and thinking, oh, OK, it's just a, you know, a, like a fun title, not quite fully grasping um, black exploitation cinema. And then the, there is this. I think it's actually a pretty great movie. Uh, and then there's this essentially payoff at the end where, yeah, they, I mean, it's the, the cops shoot uh, the, the human character, his, his reincarnated lover in the back. Mm-hmm. And then he takes out the cops. Do you think that where entertainment and the appetite of mainstream is right now, that that ending could, could play in a cinema or play with mainstream now in 2023, as sad as it is to ask this question? <laughs> um, I mean, I think it could, although, you know, I mean, I know that, you know, Get Out uh, notoriously has changed its ending to make it a little more uh, uplifting. Originally, in the original ending to Get Out, Chris was, you know, police pulled up at the end and, and found Chris at the scene and, and arrested him and put him in jail and that sort of thing. And and um, I think, you know, Jordan Peele decided that at the time, you know, the times we were living in, in, in 2017 or 2018, um, that, uh, you know, that would have been too much, a little too much uh, on top of everything else. So I think he, so I think he wisely chose to kind of have it, you know, where uh, his friend Rod is the one who showed up at the end and they kind of, got away and, right. and weren't arrested. So, I mean, I, I can see definitely that you might not want to have kind of such a downer ending. Um, although nowadays, like this is, it's been six years since get out. And I think we've had quite a few representations of black horror. I think we do have room now for maybe some more 
darker endings, you know, something that might not be quite as uplifting. I think at the time the get out came out, that was, you know, there was so little black horror, at least prominent black horror that I think Jordan Peele wanted to not have such a downer. But I think now we've had quite a few representations of black horror that have come out and, and been prominent. And I think we're kind of opening up the, the, the floodgates and, and opening up the, the possibilities for, for black horror. I mean, you can have a, a movie that has a downer ending that is kind of bleak, but you can have movies that have, you know, happy endings or, you know, all kinds of things. So I think that's really the future of black horror. I think is just to kind of expand and not have everything be, you know, get out two and get out three and that sort of thing. They want a lot of different story ideas to, uh, to kind of expand the, the possibilities for the, for the genre. Yeah. And I mean, in TV plays into that as well, you know, well, there's the streaming side of it, such so shutter, which is just kind of putting out a lot of good stuff, a lot of stuff and a lot of good stuff. And then <laughs> just the role of TV. And I know you talk about Lovecraft country and then even dip uh, into the Watchmen, uh, into Watchmen a little bit. Um, mm. Is that, is, do you think that that's just part of it, is just the amount of content also leads to more representation and more different types of black characters in horror? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think this whole, you know, streaming era that we're in right now really has helped a lot. Uh, there's a lot of, I think a lot of studios and, and producers are more willing to take a chance on a movie going to a streaming service, you know, than or a TV show or whatever, than they would on a, um, you know, a, a wide release on a big screen. So I think a lot of movies um, have gotten a lot more uh, chances on like, Hulu and Amazon Prime and Netflix. And, you know, there's been a lot of movies with like black leads that have really been really good and they could have been, you know, releasing theaters, but, you know, I think that chances are, even with the success of Get Out, I don't think a lot of them would have really gotten the green light to go ahead on a big screen if, if it weren't for the, uh, these uh, uh, streaming options. I don't think they would have seen the light of day, a lot of them. Yeah, well, and even who knows anymore with with cinemas, uh, what's going yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I wanted to ask before I let you go. You talk about this in the book. You talk about uh, the the supernatural themes that tend to emerge seem to revolve oftentimes around voodoo or sort of these other characters, whereas the paranormal, as in your traditional haunted house story, is typically related to or relegated to sort of these suburban movies featuring white characters that we have these horror comedies such as uh, haunted mansion with eddie murphy and now we have another haunted mansion on the way where you might feature a black lead but why are there not a lot of haunted house movies featuring black leads I mean, to me, I think it's just kind of a reflection of what movie makers, what Hollywood, what the decision makers think of as being, you know, a suburban, everyday door next, you know, people next door type of family. I think that's kind of usually the 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 gist of what these haunted house movies are is like just an everyday average American family who's thrown into turmoil by these these ghostly apparitions and that sort of thing. And I think it's really just a reflection of how, you know, that everyday American family is defined. And it's typically, you know, white people in the suburbs and that sort of thing. So, I mean, the, you don't have, I think to me, that's really the main reason why you haven't seen hardly any uh, uh, black lead haunted house movies. Um, although there is one that I really enjoy that came out a couple of years ago from England called his house. Um, and that was kind of, even that it wasn't, they weren't like an everyday average, you know, family, they were immigrants. They were uh, refugees uh, from, from Africa who came to England and were having to be put into a home that was haunted. And so then they had to deal with it that, that way. So, um, so it still wasn't like they were like this average family that, you know, has to deal with these things it was still an extraordinary situation but um but yeah i think that's really really it's just a reflection of how you know average people next door type families are defined racially yeah 
and now that I'm thinking of it, there was one probably about eight, eight years ago that was uh, an entirely black cast about, I think they, it was a purchasing the new home that, that then turns out to be haunted. It was pretty good, but I don't think it really got any mainstream attention mm-hmm. or anything. And and for that matter, I mean, you mentioned, oh, well, there's the haunted house element, but even aliens outside of Nope, there's not a lot of grounded extraterrestrial horror featuring uh, black actors or black characters, you know, maybe predators, alien versus predator, mm-hmm. but not like UFO type stuff. Right. Yeah, that's true. I didn't, we didn't really touch on that in, in the book, but that, I mean, definitely. I, I mean, I would think that's probably like, I'm trying to think Hollywood's viewpoint. It's like, okay, they probably think, you know, rural, you know, people getting abducted in the rural woods and, you know, not it, basically Hollywood thinks black people only live in cities. So, so um, yeah. anything that takes place outside of the city uh, is going to be white. So I think that's kind of the, what things have been so far. <laughs> well, and meanwhile, you do have uh, Barack Obama's production company is, is going to be adapting the Betty and Barney Hill story, which is the UFO abduction case. And mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to, uh, approach it as a horror but it's I, I don't know if you're familiar with this story but it's um it's really fascinating it yields itself to being sort of a ufo abduction story featuring an interracial couple uh i, I don't know if, if he's gonna lean into the horror element but um i think that would actually be an interesting take on it yeah um yeah hey any new entries since you wrapped the book, any new entries that you think are worth promoting as far as doing it right? Uh, I mean, there are quite a few good uh, black-led uh, horror movies last year. I mean, like Barbarian is one that comes to mind. It had a black female lead in that. And that was, I think, universally people love that movie. It's really bonkers, off-the-wall kind of movie. Um you know, I had some good stuff last year. Like uh, there's another one called Nanny that was a uh, kind of horror slash drama, but it's about a, a nanny, an African nanny in New York who has to deal with some supernatural stuff. And, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of, uh, quite a few good ones in, in the last uh, few months since the book came out or well, since the book was finished, I guess um, that are definitely worth checking out. So things are, Things are looking up. <laughs> All right. Well, finally, before I let you go, and I apologize, you might be hearing New York City on the outside <laughs> saying hello. But uh, before I let you go, if there was a a film from the past that you would be happy to see get a, a remake, a requel treatment, whether it was a black exploitation film, whether it was a film that didn't feature black uh, actors in a prominent role, but you think could uh, very well, very easily be adapted to that. What would it be? Oh boy. Um, hmm. I keep thinking like a, a Jordan Peele could tackle a a update of Blackula, but yeah, I mean, I think it would be kind of cool to see a a really well done black vampire movie, you know, um, like I, there had been talk about doing somebody doing a remake of black. Hill. I don't know if that really succeeded or not. Um, but yeah, as long as, you know, as much, I love black Hill too. And, but you know, it is definitely a dated movie. Um, and I think, you know, it really could, uh, stand for a remake. And I think, uh, it could be really good. I mean, we had, I guess the last, kind of major black vampire movie was maybe like vampire in Brooklyn or something like that, which is kind of comedy and stuff. Like I think, you know, I think uh, outside of like the blade movies, I think it's hard. We haven't seen too much serious, uh, a serious approach taken to black vampires. So I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah. You, uh, and, and do you think that the successes of the, um, Wakanda Forever and Black Panther from the MCU side showing that these films that when they really have the support of major studios and they have 
a creative team that is black led. You have a cast that is primarily black and it is doing bonkers numbers at the box office. Do you think the studio side is saying, okay, now let's apply. We, we, we have a little bit more faith that we can apply this to horror as well. I mean, it can't hurt. I mean, I, I definitely, um, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I, I mean, I, I know that Hollywood is very trendy and so, you know, they kind of go with what they think is working. So, um, I'm not going to say that they're so, uh, ahead of the curve that they can put the, uh, put together black, you know, black Panther with, with horror, but, um, I'm, I'm hoping they can kind of see, you know, how those two might, might, uh, associate and how, you know, one success might kind of feed into another. So, um, so I don't know, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm, I know that I, I tried to be cautious because I know like the black, uh, black film movements have come and gone in the past from the black exploitation era to like in the nineties, we had a bunch of movies and then both of those kind of died down when Hollywood decided that, you know, okay, we've had, you've had your voice for a while. So we'll, we'll kind of move on to something else. So, um, but I'm hoping that, you know, things will, will keep moving up and we'll keep seeing more uh, black representation. Yeah. Uh, me, me too. I hope so. And I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic also, especially because there's a need for just content across the board. So hopefully yeah. that means more creators and more creative voices. Uh, well, my guest today is author Mark H. Harris, whose new book with Dr. Robin R. Means Coleman is The Black Guy Dies First, Black Horror Cinema from Fodder to Oscar. It is available now. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate talking to you. It is it's it is so insightful, but it's also just a really fun and funny read. It's uh it's really sharp. I like that you don't pull any punches on things. Or maybe you did pull punches. It doesn't feel like it. I, I like how sharp you are uh, on it. So, uh, Mark, thanks so much for your time, my friend. And then everybody can follow you on... At, uh, at on Twitter is when I, what my handle is. So. That's right. I don't know how you scooped up at Blackula. Like, you were early adopter on that yeah i came in early <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right mark thank you and this has been talking strange if you guys have stories you'd like to share of the strange unusual or suggest guests email us at talking strange at den of and i'm aaron sagers until next time be kind stay spooky and keep it weird talking strange is a part of the den of geek network available wherever you listen to other podcasts if you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash den of geek us and please follow at talk strange pod on twitter and at aaron sagers on twitter instagram and patreon for more paranormal pop culture content